Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. I'm Andrew Nichol. And tell the show, we're talking about the risks of buying a property off the plans. And after yesterday's episode, we thought we'd get Sue Foley back in from Landley Law. And of course, Sue, you are Andrew's personal lawyer. Yeah, I can't believe that's taken us so long, 1,540-odd uh, episodes to get you on here. Yes, it's rather a dubious honour being Andrew's lawyer, <laughs> personal lawyer, but that's okay. Well, Andrew, as you know, I work extraordinarily long hours, seven yeah, days a week, yeah, that's, so that's probably why we haven't managed to connect, yeah, but I'm very happy to be here. But I hear you only need one client, uh, Sue. And I get, to call, I get to call Sue on a Saturday afternoon and talk through a contract or something like that. It's easy. And I'm generally at the office, and if I'm not, I'm usually driving there. <laughs> now, one of the things about off-the-plans contracts, if you're buying a new build off-the-plans, is that there definitely are some benefits, things like not having to pay for the property for perhaps 12, maybe in some cases even 18 months over the time. Interest rates may come down, house prices may go up, but there are also some risks in the contract. And so we want to get Sue on to talk about some of these. Now, so just before we hit record on there, there were a couple of ones that we were uh, that we were discussing. What are some of the main areas that you look at when you get a new build off the plans contract in front of you? So when we get a new build uh, contract in, um, there's certain things that we always look for. One is uh, whether there's the ability for the uh, price to change. Uh, And generally, obviously, we don't want it going up um, by any stretch of the imagination. So price escalation is definitely something we look at. Uh, Another thing that we uh, look at is what is in the contract to protect the buyer in terms of the product they're ultimately going to end up with. Because most off-plan contracts will give the uh, the developer vendor the ability to vary things. So it's very common for there to be a clause to say that the concept plans, the scheme plan, the pretty pictures you've been uh, supplied are for marketing purposes only. So I had a, a lovely client who had a pretty picture of the development and it had a tree. We had to, they explained to them that that tree would not necessarily be a tree there or that tree because mm. it's a it's an artist's rendition of what things are going to look like. So there's a, the ability for the developer to vary things, but that is, has to be taken in conjunction with protecting the buyer to make sure they get what they contracted for at the price they contracted for. So with the price escalation, so if I'm buying off plans and it's a turnkey contract, I always thought, well, it's a fixed price. I know what it's going to be. Why is there the potential for that to change? So it's a really good question. And there's two things we see. One is very common. One is not common and it's becoming less and less common because off the plan purchases are you know, just becoming very, very More normal, normal. Yeah. In, in New Zealand in particular. So the thing that we always see is what's called a substitution clause. What that means is that the developer can, or vendor can substitute materials or chattels with a similar product or chattel of the same quality and value as the one that's being substituted out. Okay, so if there's a a bathroom that's all designed up, um, but the particular shower, which was coming from China, and now China's in lockdown, for example, like we had in COVID, and they can no longer get that product, they can swap it out for something different, so long as it's comparable. Yeah, so that's the the wording is generally comparable in terms of value and quality, because we obviously don't want to get substituted out with something that's going to break down and doesn't have a good you know, warranty or reputation. So that is fine because we all know in the times that we live in, things can happen, 
you know, shortage of supply, uh, trade deals not being done with the same uh, trade partners, so you're getting different electrical products coming in, that kind of thing. So on the face of it, that's fine. What you do have to look for is the next sentence that sometimes can be in there, and that sentence is, and any difference in value will be treated as an extra or a deduction to the contract price. So we don't want that in there because what that is saying is that the developer can actually on their balance sheet say, well, we had to buy uh, a stove that was $300 more than what we had spec for. Therefore, we can pass that $300 on to you as an extra, as a variance to the price. Okay. Now, it can work the other way, but... I don't actually think I've ever seen a deduction oh, yeah. going the other way. <laughs> yeah, they just they they brush that one under the rug. Yeah. So so if if they are paying another three hundred dollars for that oven, then that's passed on to me as the buyer. So uh, what would you advise as a lawyer then for clients that have got that in a in a contract? We'll definitely go back and ask for that that sentence to be deleted. Yes. How successful are you at getting that? Generally pretty successful because most developers, their intention is not to worry about the rats and mice. Yes. I mean, I, that, that's what I would call, you know, rats and mice in terms of, of putting substituting things in, in and out. So generally be very successful getting that sentence deleted. What we also do is we also will sometimes just go to the developer's lawyers and say, please have your client confirm in writing this is a fixed price contract and there will be no price variance. And that's a very good blanket thing to do because most finance approvals will be on the basis that that is the price yes. and any variance could tip you into a situation where you couldn't get funding. So we would probably do both ask them to take that sentence out and then get them to confirm it's fixed price and there'll be no variances. And the other thing that you talked about was the developer's ability to change the property. And often in contracts, there is the ability for the developer to change the size of the floor plan. What's that all about? So it's not so much the ability to change the size of the floor plan because they're not going in to want to change the size of the floor plan. It's more how uh, a development works. So when you do a development, you've got two things you've got to get through. One of them is you've got to get the council to approve the development and the plans and get building consent and all that type of stuff. And the other side is getting the title and that's done through uh, the land office and a surveyor. So within the industry, a 5% variance in size of a section would be acceptable because there could be a variance in terms of the surveyor's measurements. Um, so that that kind of variance would, would be what I would say would be an acceptable variance. And that's simply because sometimes measurements aren't taken precisely. There could be a, a small error. And so there's always a, a, an industry variance. So, so that's on the that's on the land. Yep. So say for example, I'm buying a townhouse off plans, and and the section size is um, two hundred and fifty uh, square meters. Well, that was the plans. Um, I, I potentially might lose um, twelve square meters. That's that's right. So five percent variance would generally be something I would say would be tolerable. Some contracts will say the developer can do any variance they like and there'll be no compensation payable to you as a buyer. Right. So if I lost um, 100 square metres, which obviously would be going kind of against the spirit of, of the contract, but let's say I went from 250 to 150, um, there's 
arguably no compensation for me. Arguably, but for that type of variance, you're really buying something, well, that would be, what, a third of, well, over a third, 40%. So in that case, as a lawyer, I would be going in and saying the intention of that clause is to deal with minor variations. This is not a minor variation. This is taking away 40% of our client's land. Therefore, this actually goes to the heart of the contract and we would probably argue maybe fundamental breach or something yes. like that. Do you, have, you, do you, have you ever dealt with something like this? Not with that type of yeah, variance, no. no. It would be very, very unusual. Yes. And a good developer, if that happened, would probably say, I'll let you out of the contract. I'll let you out of the contract. Or do you want to negotiate a pro rata price reduction? That type of thing. So you're saying that that those clauses don't give the developer the ability to change the floor plan of a property? Because I thought, Andrew, we had a situation where there was an investor, or I think it was a first-home buyer actually, who purchased a property and then the developer had fiddled around with the second bedroom, in which case it made it not a second bedroom. Oh, yeah, you can have you can have situations like that where you get the change in the, uh, the footprint as well. Um, again, um, the, the argument in that instance was whether or not the investor, uh, it was a first-home buyer, um, whether or not the purchaser was still getting what they'd signed up for, and the developer's argument was, yes, well, there's still two bedrooms, um, but my argument was, well, that's not really a bedroom anymore, and that that was that was um, that was where Sue basically said, "Does you know at the heart of the contract is this still doing what it ought to do?" And in the end, the developer decided the best thing to do would be to let that first home buyer out of the contract. Yeah, so some developers in their in their contract terms will actually say we can do variances provided it doesn't compromise the overall value and utility yes. of the uh, property at the end, and that would be. Uh, a pretty standard clause, and that means that the developer can't change something that would mean you're buying a two-bedroom apartment and suddenly become one bedroom because obviously that's you're not comparing apples with apples. It Correct. becomes completely different. So often they'll have something in there that says they can make the changes provided it doesn't go to compromise the value of the property or its amenity value, in other words, with the use it's going to be yeah. put to. And I can understand that uh, both investors and first-home buyers listening to the show could find that quite unsettling. What's this? The developer can change both the land and potentially the footprint of my house by up to 5%. How often are those clauses used to substantially vary the property? Very rarely. Um, most professionals these days, when they're doing a scheme plan or whatever, generally get it right. Um, and so in my experience, it's rare. It, it happens occasionally. But having that pro rata adjustment, so what I mean by that is to say if the variance is over 5%, then there would be a pro rata adjustment in terms of the purchase price. So that would either be up all down. So we're talking about down here, but just remember it can go up, so mm. it could bite you the other way. <laughs> and I know that there was an investor we were working with recently uh, who was a bit unsettled by they've got all of these beautiful marketing plans and it's got all of the specs of, you know, the sort of taps that are going to go in and the sort of ovens that are going to go in and all of these things. And then they cancelled the contract. And the reason they cancelled the contract was they said, well, I've got all of these marketing docs, but the contract's not referencing them. So I don't have any confidence that these pretty pictures and these specs that I'm being given are actually going to be delivered. What do you say to that? So what I think we've got to do is put it in the context that any investment involves some form of risk. 
if there was no risk in investment, we'd probably all be on our private islands, you know, having a martini or whatever. No, you wouldn't. You'd be at the office. Yeah, I probably would be at the office. But anyway, um, so what we've got to do is put it in context. And so what I say to my clients is that when you buy off plan, it comes with a level of risk. You have to be comfortable with that level of risk. If not, don't do it. I mean, it's as simple as that. What also people have to uh, perhaps take into context once again is that developers are here to make money, deliver a product and obtain a good reputation. So when they do further developments, there's a body of goodwill and public opinion out there that says they're good to work with Mm -hmm. and they produce a good product. So for uh, a developer to completely change from their their marketing concept plans and their renderings of what you're going to get would just be a very bad thing to do if you want to continue within the uh, development. Mm. I think the other thing about the plans and specifications is that you can go back to the uh, developer and say, well, look, I'll accept the clause, but I want to be notified if Mm. there are changes. Now, some developers will go, okay, we'll do that. Some of them will go, well, we're not going to do that because – we're not going to tell you if the cupboard knobs have changed mm. because we've got better things to do with our time to get the place built and actually produce the product for you. So I think what you've then got to do as an investor in particular, if you're working with an agent or you're working with a property partner, they do a lot of that work for you because they will build up relationships with developers and they will then know that those developers are going to do right by their clients mm. and by their, you know, by their people that they're introducing to the product. So it becomes really important to do your background work and to make sure you are working with someone who actually knows the developer and uh, is is confident that they are going to do right by you. So it's like any investment. You've got to take some element of self-responsibility you can't just rely on what you've told. So that's why making sure you do research, hooking up with someone like Opus who is actually going to have that experience and knowledge of developers is invaluable for those types of things that can arise. And Andrew, for somebody who says this all sounds a bit risky, it all sounds a bit complicated, why don't I just buy something that's a complete. If I'm going to buy a new build, why don't I just buy something that's already built? What do you say to that? Yeah, absolutely, you can. If you don't have the risk appetite for it, buy something that new that's already finished. Now, don't get me wrong, that might not be an option next year because as a lot of the stock that's complete gets sold and the market starts to pick up, all of a sudden you might be having to buy something that's 12 or 18 months away. Now, personally, I love something that's 18 months away because all I do is I sign a contract, I send it to Sue, she does all the negotiations and then I forget about it. And then in 18 months' time, she emails me in a panic and says, where's your loan documents? And then I've got to get them in a hurry to her. Um, uh, and, and in that time, hopefully the market's gone up and the interest rates have gone down. Now, it doesn't always work that way. But, you know, I prefer that personally. But if you don't have that kind of um, risk appetite, then maybe you do just buy something that's finished today. It might just limit your options. I think the main thing there as well is to ask yourself, well, what is the risk? And one of the areas where I see a lot of investors get it wrong is they'll enter into an off-the-plans contract but use a lawyer who doesn't actually specialise in that. Uh, All the time. And What's the issue there? The issue is that perhaps you don't protect yourself as much because maybe your lawyer doesn't fully understand what the risks are, or they'll go the other way and perceive these risks as much more scary than they actually are. 
So that's a really good point, Ed, because I work, or Landley Law works for people who buy off the plan, but we also work for developers. So then we've got the boot on the other foot where we've got the queries coming to us working for the developer's lawyer. So uh, we always have a bit of a giggle sometimes because sometimes we'll get like four-page letters from the lawyer for the purchaser and generally it might be a newbie lawyer who's gone through everything with a fine-tooth comb and, and has come back with this huge document about changes that are needed. It's going to be a legal executive. No, generally it's a junior lawyer. Uh, is it? Oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> it's generally I, a junior lawyer. Well, the sad thing there is imagine how big the bill the investor's going to get. That's absolutely right. Imagine how big the bill. And also, I think you're right, it can be rather unsettling for a buyer. So what we try and uh, – our role, I see our role as a lawyer is to make sure we – point out the risks that are involved, but also at the same time explain to the client what standard practice is, explain to the client that uh, there are ways we can mitigate some of the risk factors and explain which ones we potentially can, but also be realistic about it and explain to them from the developer's side why those things may or may not be able to be changed. So that's why working with someone who is experienced in working with buyers off plans really is important because you could miss out on a really good investment opportunity which really has nothing wrong on the face of it because you've got a very zealous, and don't get me wrong, your, your, your lawyer's there to protect you, but if you're not working within the uh, the... the you know, if you're not experienced in off-the-plan purchases, you can get your client wound up about something which really isn't something to get wound up about and by the same token treat all of the things as the same when actually there's some key things which are really important to get right and the other stuff you generally will just often have to suck it up. They're the nice-to-haves. And actually, yeah. it's really interesting um, because just last week, uh, I was talking to one of the property partner's clients, and they'd had a contract cancelled by their lawyer without them giving permission to the lawyer to Ooh. cancel it. And without the client giving yes, permission. without the client Whoops. giving permission because the lawyer was concerned about something to do with the residence association. Now, the funny thing is, um, they're not the first investor buying in this development, and I think actually your office had handled some of them, so I know that they would have been thoroughly tested. The lawyer on the other side, I know him, he's just not as experienced in off-the-plan transactions. And as a result, this client's very unhappy now because they wanted that property and now they've missed out, someone else has bought it. I always say they're different types of lawyers and I'm not making a judgment on my profession or my colleagues in any stretch of the imagination. I just want to breath it that. But you've got lawyers who are practical and then you've got lawyers that might be more academic. And I think when you buy off plan, you want to work with a lawyer who's practical because sometimes the issue in the contract can be dealt with in a practical way mm. which minimises the risk to the level the client's comfortable with but I also think as a lawyer you've also got to make sure your client's wishes are reasonable. Yes. So we will, we will go through a contract with a client and say look this is a particular risk factor, we could try and do this I don't like your chances, it's there to protect the developer because, and we give the reason why and explain the full picture. Because yes. when people often get wound up, it's because they're not looking, they're not seeing the whole thing as a whole mm. and seeing it in the context of industry standards. And obviously, so there's a lot in a contract. Before I go and sign one, do I have to negotiate all these clauses up front? 
No, and in fact, I wouldn't recommend you do that because you'll probably end up not getting the property because the developer will probably go, this person's a pain in the ass yes. and I'm not going to sell it to them. Yes. So no, I don't recommend that at all. The best way of dealing with that is to have a very robust due diligence condition, which Opus obviously does. Opus also go further and have a right to cancel clause as well, which means within the 10 working days, if you've just simply changed your mind, you can just walk away. So that's what I'm going back to what I was saying earlier. If you partner yourself with uh, an agent or a property group that uh, can assist you, they'll make sure you've got the contracts, uh, the clauses at the front end. Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And Tay, if you're looking for a new build specialist lawyer, you might like to consider Sue from Landley Law. She's absolutely excellent. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Tim McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. We're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time. <laughs>